Welcome to Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Pembroke campus. Good morning. Well, it's, it's, it's almost afternoon. And, um, oh, thank you, brother. We doing okay? Well, listen, I'm going to go somewhere different today than last night. Um, let me pray right now. Lord, I, I just thank you that that you always have a word for your church. You want to speak to us. Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. In the name of Jesus, amen. Listen, I've been reflecting about something I, for the last week. On Monday, I, I got to the United States from Mexico for the convention I got there in the afternoon, and Monday night we started our services, and um, I, I have felt something that I've never, ever felt in my life. Um, I'm 59 years old. I was born in Washington, D.C. I was a Senate page for Quentin Burdick from, um, from North Dakota. I went to school with, I went to an all-boys prep school with the Bushes and the Kennedys. I've been around, I love the United States of America, but I've never in my life have experienced what I experienced this week. And what I'm experiencing is the angst and the anxiety that is felt in America, in the United States of America. There's this sense that something has gone really wrong. That we're kind of floating around kind of directionless. We, we, we don't trust our government. We you know, we're in a place right now, presidential candidates are coming up because the primaries are coming. They want to pitch their, their, their reasons for why they want to be the leaders of our country. We have a sense that we, we aren't what we used to be in the world, that, that, that the nations of the world have, are just kind of, there's just been this spirit of violence that's been loosed on the earth. And um, you hear... I was in different meetings and I would hear the pastors, especially this, I have two boys that are living in Seattle, Washington, and I heard the pastors that are pastoring in that part of the country talk about what it's like to, to, to pastor in America and it's just different. And there's this sense and, and, and I've been reflecting, Mark and I have been talking about it there was the opening speaker at, 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 um, for our Foursquare convention. He brought a strong word, but it created a conversation. There was some tension based on some of the things that he declared. And I've been living with this thing all week, thinking about it and thinking about what God has to say to us. And look, I'm not some hired gun when I come to a church, you know. I, I really want to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. I don't want to waste your time. Because you guys come here and you want to hear a word from God. And I've been living with this thing. And, and uh, do you guys feel it? Do you, do you know what this thing is? And when you leave, uh, you, you know, you're living away from it and you're living in a different country and you come 
home, you're very sensitive to it. Because sometimes you can be living in something and you get so assimilated to it, you don't, you don't really, you kind of know this thing is going on. But when you've been outside of it and you come into it, it smacks you right upside the head. And it was a real conversation that we were having as leaders. There's, there's, there's this, this, this desire. What is God saying to us? How are we going to reach our nation? And so I, I, I want to address that this morning. And, it, and, and, I, and I want to admit to you, this is my perspective, you guys. This is how I understand um, the scriptures. And I think this is not unique. I, I'm going to tell you personally, I'm so excited to be ministering in this season of the history of humanity. I mean, I, I'm, I could pop. I'm so excited. And I, and I believe that all throughout history, the people of God have faced this dilemma. And the prophets addressed it. I love the prophets. They're, they're lawyers. The, 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 and I, you know, if you've got to think about lawyers, but really they were always, God had made a, a, a sacred covenant with his people. And they would break it. And the, and the prophets were like lawyers advocating and representing God in the courts of the universe. And they had something God would speak to them about what it meant to be in a relationship to Him and what it meant to be the nation of God in relationship to the nations. So they've always, this has been a real issue. This is not new. And this is not the first time in the history of the people of God that they're struggling with my goodness, where are you, God, with what's happening in the world and what's happening in my nation? So that's what I want to talk about. All right, open your Bibles to Je- uh, Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to try to give you a perspective. Jeremiah chapter 12, and really, I'm telling you, I've been feeling this deeply. And I'm going to mobilize our church, our churches down in Mexico to intercede for the United States of America. And 2016 is a very important, it's a, we are in a pivotal moment in our history of this country. I hope you know that. And, um, but, but the church needs to rise up. All right. This is, this is Jeremiah. The first four verses, this is Jeremiah having a conversation with God. And I love it. I, I, I love Jeremiah. He's a real dude. I mean, he really feels like I understand him. He says, um, I'm reading out of New King James, okay? Um, you know, this is the four-square Bible, spirit-filled Bible. I, 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 was, I really like the NIV because that's the Bible that was put in my hand when I got born again. And I like it because it's written at eighth grade level. I can understand it. But, but you know, when I'm speaking in four-square churches, I, I, I kind of figure I'm in the ballpark when I read out of this version. But I do love it that, you know, your pastor reads out of English Standard Version. That's a good version. 
Well, forget that. Let's just go to this. It says, righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. That's good doctrine. He understands that God is righteous. But, yet let me talk with you about your judgments. I got a bone to pick with you, God. I'm bothered by something. Just like we're bothered. And this is what's bothering him. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them. Yes, and they have taken root. They grow. Yes, they bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their mind. But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me, and you have heard my heart. You have tested my heart towards you. And this is what I love. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. I mean, if you haven't ever prayed that God take somebody out, that God would kill somebody, you don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, seriously. I love Jeremiah. Take him out, Lord. Slaughter him. I'm saying, Amen. I live, I live in Mexico, and, you know, you ever driven in Mexico? And they cut you off? Kill that dude, God! <laughs> Somebody, what kind of missionary are you? You, you need to love people. <laughs> oh, man. Kim knows what I'm talking about, right? Now, this is, the th- this is the deal. Verse 4. How long will the land mourn? There's something wrong here, God. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The beasts and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said, He will not see our final end. Jeremiah is like, he's feeling like you and I do. He's feeling like a lot of Americans are feeling. God, I know you're holy. I know you're righteous. But man, I need to talk to you about this. And I'm really bothered. I'm really mad. And I'm seeing stuff here that just doesn't make sense. And people are getting away with things that are just not righteous. They're taking advantage of our nation God, I'm just so mad. I, I wish I, I could almost see somebody get killed. And then he, and then he cries out because, because our land mourns. Now, this is what God answers. Verse 5. And, I'm, and I can, because of time, I can, can't go into all the text, but this is the thing. He says, If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted they worried you, then how will you do in the floodplain in the Jordan? Now, this is God's response. Is that all you can handle? I'm so mad. God says, is that all you can deal with? Man, I have called you to run with horses. 
I have called you to stand when it's peaceful, yes. But I've called you to stand in the land when the floods come. You see, God expects so much more from us. This is the time when the church needs to rise up and be light. This is the time when we are not to be afraid. This is a time when we have an answer. And God says, no, I believe so much more. I've deposited so much more in you. You have the power of Almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the sovereign God. And God doesn't want to hear it. Because he's created every one of you to run with horses. He's created every one of you to stand when the floods come. That's what God wants to do with us. I don't care. Look, I don't care what's happening. I know what my assignment is. Now, how can God say that? How can God demand that of us? It's all grounded in the call of God in our lives. And I'm telling you something. If there's something I sense about this church is that you guys got a mandate. You guys got a mission. And there's never been a time in history where you got to get a hold of that thing and you got to just know that God has called you. Now, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1 because I want to show you because there's so many things that make us feel like we're disqualified from that, that that's somebody else and not me. And that's not true. So go to Jeremiah chapter 1. And at the end of the day, what I want you to do is feel like you are being called to run with horses. I mean, I measure my ministry, my life all the time. Is that all you can handle, Johnny? You can handle more. God has called you to run with horses. And we are always willing to just bake out. You know what I mean? I can't. There's some of you right now that feel that you're at the end of your rope, that you can't handle one more thing, that, the, that life is on, on top of you and you've had enough. God, I can't handle it anymore. I can't handle it. And God is saying, of course you can. You can handle this and a whole bunch more because I've called you to run with horses. Doggone it. That's what God is saying to us. That's what God wants of his church. We're not a wussy church. We're the church of the living God. And this is our time to shine. Now, in Jeremiah chapter 1. This is, this is, this is so cool. Look, let me get there. Oh man, I'm going to explode right now in front of you. I'm just going to bust loose. And I'm glad this is the last service because I can just go. You know, when I was in Laconia, I was, going, I was preaching like this real fast, real fast, because I have to run here. But now I don't have to run anywhere. I can just enjoy the moment, because I like being with you. It just happens. The weekend just got, whew, just goes so fast. I want to slow down and breathe. All right. Jeremiah chapter 1. Look. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anthoth in the land of Benjamin. You know, one of the biggest things, I mean, we're all into it. 
Oh, I come from a dysfunctional family. You know, my father, I didn't even have a father. He bailed on us. And I don't give a flip. I could care less. Doesn't bother me. I'm serious. You know why? Because, you know, all we know about Jeremiah's family was his father's name, the town he comes from, and that he was a priest. We don't know. I mean, God doesn't tell us anything. Was he a good priest? Was he a bad priest? Was he a, a passive father and a mother ruled the roost? Was, was he unrighteous, righteous? Was he stern, severe? Did he beat Jeremiah? Is that why he's the weeping prophet? Or is he sense it was Jeremiah abused as a child? Or was he a, a child who his father was always out doing his priestly duties and he was never at home? So he was raised by his mom, very sensitive, and that's why he was the weeping prophet. That's why he was so sensitive to the word of God. We don't have any idea. We don't we don't know if he had how many brothers and sisters he had. We don't know if they liked each other. We don't know what, whether he was a kid that was bullied. We don't know anything about him. You know that God, when he tells us, he tells him, the lineages is more important to God because he wants to know, look, I've always been with you, but we really don't know anything about these people because God never, ever, I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry, but God really doesn't care where you came from. He's more interested in your relationship to him. And that's what's significant. And so you guys got to stop all this. Oh, you know, you know, my dad. No, 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 no. It's time for you to realize who you are in God. And it's time to realize what we need to do in mission. This is what God, this is the emphasis. We don't know anything about um, Jeremiah's family. We just know his dad was a priest. But nothing more. No sense of, of what that was like. No sense of what his home like was like. Oh, but there's three things that, and I mean, there's three verses that emphasize this one thing. Over and over. It says in verse 2. To whom the word of the Lord came. Verse 3. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying. One of the things we see in Jeremiah. We don't see a lot about his family. But we see that the word of God was constantly coming to him. He was a man of the word of God. I'm going to tell you, we're talking about what we need, revival today. And I, I just really believe that what we need, the revival is a back to the Bible movement. This is, and let me tell you why this is so important. Look, my dad was Jack Johnson. Thank God I don't have that last name. Masariegos is much more sexy. <laughs> When I was in high school, the chicks liked Masariegos. So I'm glad I, you know, I didn't get, well, if you're Johnson, too bad. (laughs) So my dad was American. My mom was Guatemalan. I was born in the United States and I lived most of my life in Mexico. Who am I? I don't know. It doesn't matter. What matters is faith is imagination. And when I read the Bible and I read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is my man. He's the manipulator. He's the liar. All that stuff. And God still uses him. I I, I love. 
I, faith to me is imagining myself in the story. For you women, it's Deborah and Hannah. It's Sarah and Elizabeth and Mary. And Esther, I love Esther. Oh, let me tell you, she was a wild woman. But I don't want to get there, man, because then I get distracted. I'm tangent, man. I go, no. But I, faith is imagining your life in the life of the people of God in scriptures. That's, this is my story. This is my identity. I don't care about Guatemala and United States. I, I love United States, but not when it comes to my identity. My identity is locked in the word and the people of God and how he relates to them. And, and I get a sense of how this relationship with God, I don't care. This is the only revelation of how that stuff works. And I love the scriptures and Jeremiah, when he gets before God and he's complaining and God says, you have been called to run with horses. It all begins because he had the word of God that came to him. The emphasis was not where he came from in his family. The emphasis is the word of God came to him and the word of God came in him and the word of God came to him. You got to get in the word. Some of you don't even read it. Well, some of you, this church really isn't to the, you know, the journaling and that sort of thing. But I'm going to tell you something. Read it differently. Read it like it's your story. This is your people. It's, you know, I see myself there. And I begin to, oh, it's amazing. Now, when the word of the Lord comes to him, it comes this way. It says in verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knows us. The hunger of a human being is for another person to really know them. Those are the people that we love. Those people we have a, an identification with. We've we got this thing. We, we kind of understand each other. You know, it's a beautiful thing. But when God says, you go, well, okay, how does this God know me? This is, let me give you an image of how that works for me. You know, I'm a missionary in Mexico, and I do teams. And this summer, we, I was on my sixth team. And you know what? When you get to your sixth team, you just don't want to even be a Christian anymore. You, you just, you don't want to evangelize. You don't want to translate. You know, you just, you just, you know, Christians get on your nerves. You know, you just don't want to deal with it. Right, Dan? You know what I'm talking about. Dan's going, oh, hallelujah. He's even wanting to play, speak in tongues, you know. You just get so, because you're the translator and you're the leader. And, and man, everybody wants to serve Jesus, but you are just worn out. You're exhausted. So I said, I'm getting away from these people. I'm hiding. And some people are looking at me like, you are a very bad missionary. <laughs> so I, I go, I'm, I'm like hiding. And so I'm walking there. We're in Zacatecas. We're based out of San Luis Potosí, but I'm, we're, we're in there. And, and I'm just walking, and I run into this street where these kids are playing soccer. And it's like amazing. They're like from seven to about 11. And they had like radar. They could tell without even looking when a car was coming. And they get out of the way. So I sat down and watched these kids. I'm just going to hang out and watch these kids play. But they were so good. And... 
you know, they were doing moves and, and then this one kid made a goal and I got nuts. Go! Go! And they looked at me and all of a sudden they had a crowd of one. And they start playing like if it was the World Cup. They were sacrificing their bodies against the cars and stuff like that. And they'd look and they would bump into each other. And I'm like getting into it. It got to a point where they couldn't stand it anymore. So they kicked the ball over to me. And then they go, meaning, hey, what's up in Spanish? And I go, you are a what's up. So we sat there and talked on that front stoop for hours. And then I looked at my watch and I go, oh my gosh, I got to get out of here. I got, we got service tonight. You know, Christianity came back on me, you know. <laughs> and so, so, you know, I, 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 I say, I got to go, you guys. And they said, hey, you coming back? And I, really, part of me wanted to lie. But I knew their lies were so full of broken promises and that sort of thing. And I go, no, no, we're not. I'm not coming back. We're leaving back to San Luis. And I said, let's pray. Let's hold hands. And you know, like little kids, you know, holding hands, that's like freaky. And so some of them got like, you know, they're like the fire of God's going to come. And the other kids were like, you know, they're like, you know, kind of, I'm holding hands, I'm holding hands. It was really crazy. And so I pray for them and I walk away and God begins to speak to me. He says, Johnny, you're just like those little boys. You love people seeing you do your thing you love people seeing you do your thing Johnny I've never missed a moment of your life when you've sinned I've seen you when you're happy and excited and nobody knows I've been there with you when you have felt humiliated and ashamed I've been with you when you have dreamt I've been with you. There's not been a second of your life where I haven't been with you. I enjoy watching you do your thing. He knows us. I mean, it's when Nathaniel came to, to Jesus because Jesus said, you're a man without guile. And he says, how do you know me? And he said, before Philip called you, before you even became a Christian, I saw you under the fig tree. Meaning I saw that place of your, where you were dreaming. The place of your dreams. And Nathaniel just declared him to be the son of God. Before God formed you in the womb, he knew you. He, he understands you. He he. he he knows his design of who you are. He knows how you're going to generate life and observe it and live it. And it's a delight to him because he's created you that way. God knows me. I can't, go, I can't get over on God. I can't fake him out, chuck and jive him. He just knows me. And the second thing, now this is... this. The, uh, I had trouble with this one because I didn't like the word. It says, before you were born, I sanctified you. It has to do with hagios. It, I, I don't like the word sanctification because holiness, because I know I'm not of myself. I'm uncomfortable with it. I go, God, you're holy, but man, I'm a dirtbag. 
And um, until I began to understand what holiness is, it's not, it, it, part of it is morality, and we kind of get stuck there. But, but God is holy because there's no one anywhere or anything that's like him. He's totally separate and unique to his being. You just can't compare God to anything. He's just separate. And when God brings you to himself, he's separate. He's, he's, it's, it has to do with relationship and connection with him. And so I began to think about this, and I love Jesus, and I love the Gospels, and, I, and, and it has to be separated unto him. I mean, it's like, you know, God is called dirt holy or a table holy, and that's amoral, no morality to it. It has to do more with somehow I'm associated with what Jesus does. And, 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 and I began, well, Jesus is cool. I mean, he loves the unlovely. He approaches the, the marginalized. He gives hope to people that have no dignity. He extends dignity to him. The, the people in the gospels, the sinners, they would just, you know, they would elbow. You go to Luke chapter five, they're elbowing themselves. To, they're fighting to get near him. He was so attractive. I mean, there was no no competition with Jesus. When he looked at a woman, there was no weirdness. I mean, it was just awesome. And God was so attractive. Jesus was so, people, people wanted to be near him. And, and when he ministered, I, I thought, that's what sanctification is. It's being separated and doing the stuff that Jesus did. Look, less, just a month ago, we... Um, you know, I speak in churches, and then, you know, I, I'd speak in this church, Angelus Temple, and Hispanic in L.A., and then this older couple, they retired. The man was a waiter for 40 years and at the Hilton doing banquets, and, and his wife was a hairdresser, and he wanted to go back to Mexico, but they went back to Mexico in one of the most volatile parts of the country, it's cartel country. I mean, you know, if you read about Mexico, you think it's the whole nation's like that. No, there's pockets that really are under control of the cartels. We're not. We're good. But Sinaloa, it's in the northwest part in Guasave, and that's where the Sinaloa cartel is, which is number four or fifth as far as crime syndicates, most powerful in the world. Billions and billions of dollars. And so they came... And in their village, they have a lot of kids that are walking around shoeless, young people, because their fathers have either been killed because of the drug wars or they're in prison. And so she just started feeding these kids on Friday night, and the thing began to grow. And so she called me, and she says, Johnny, will you, will you consider being our covering for us and helping us? Because we're getting, and she's, you know, revivals. I mean, she's 66 years old. And God is pouring out his spirit. And so I go up there once a month. I mean, I got to thank you. Your church makes that available for me to be able to do. So I fly from San Luis Potosí to Guasave, Sinaloa. And, um, and so I'm ministering there and I meet a man. And he says to me, can you pray for my daughter? And I said, Sure until I found out what the need was. On a Sunday, this is just a month ago, on a Sunday afternoon at five o'clock, two men grabbed his 15-year-old daughter, put her in her car, and they took her to a place. And they raped her from five o'clock in the afternoon to 11 o'clock at night. 
They raped her so bad, they, 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 they hurt her that she couldn't walk for four days. So she had just gotten out of the hospital and they take me to her house, which is a adobe and a big tree and it's dirt and chickens everywhere. And, and they're inviting this missionary and, and, and I'm supposed to minister and I'm saying, my God, Lord, I don't have the faintest idea of what I'm supposed to do or say. How do you minister to a little girl that's experienced something like that? And man, I go up there and all the, you know, it's the, the father is divorced from the mother and the mother's remarried. There's the stepdad, the brothers, the uncles, and they're, they're carrying. I mean, this like is a pistoletto kind of convention. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, you know, and this American is coming up there to pray for them and they're just not trusting anybody. And the scene is intense. And the only thing I could ask God, I said, God, I, I said, God, can I just, can you help me make her giggle? I just, if she can just, if, if, if in my encounter with her, if she can just giggle, I know something would break. And so she's under the tree and we're talking and I say something and she giggles. Amen. Amen. When she started giggling, everybody stopped and they looked. It was like that. that, was, that there was hope that was birthed. That's, that's what we do. We, we bring hope to impossible, dark, ugly moments. We have started a church there. We have started a church there. And you know what? We've got five churches that we have planted and little villages like that all through Guasave, Sinaloa. That's what it means to be. God, he knows us and he sets us apart to do the stuff that he does. And the last thing, it says, I've ordained you or I've called you a prophet to the nations. Maybe some of you, you know, my dear sister is called the Philippines. I'm the Mexico. I don't know where God, but I know you've been called to this nation. I know you've been called to bring hope. And if you get caught up in where you come from and who your parents were and you didn't have the most perfect life. I know it's painful. But there's something so much more important than you being stuck in that narrative. There's little 15-year-old girls that need to giggle. They need to feel some kind of sense of hope. You guys, yes, we are in a pivotal moment in the history of our nation. But God is calling you to run with horses. He's calling you to stand up as the floods come and you stand firm because there's no hope, none, none, none outside of the church of Jesus Christ. And this is our hour. This is our time. This is where we're going to shine, doggone it. I want to appeal to you, church. It's not a time to be afraid. It's a time not to have these daughters. My mother was an alcoholic. So what? Move 
and begin to start. Some of you are jogging. Next thing you know, you're going to be running next to that horse. And the next thing you know, you're going to be leaving them in the dust. In the name of Jesus, will you please stand up with me and just say, God, you have called me to run with horses and I'm going to start running today in Jesus' name. Amen? Father, I just thank you. I just thank you in Jesus' name. God, we can do so much more. You call, call us out, Lord. Bring that thing that's in us and call it out from us, Lord, so that we can give it to the world. Lord, we are still... I am so sick and tired of the excuses. Lord, we got this life. It's not that long. Let us be poured out for the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I love you. In Jesus' name. Let's stay standing for a moment. We are to run with horses. But what the other thing that Pastor John said is the kind of revival that we need is a revival back to the Bible. I would encourage you, if you are not regularly in the Word of God, you need to be in the Word of God because that's what writes our narrative. That's what gives us the strength to carry on this mission that God has placed, by the way, not just in me, not just in John or Kevin, but in every single one of us. Everyone that is here today is on mission for him. But we, to run with horses, we've got to be in the word of God. So we begin to train our ears to hear his voice, to respond to him. Church, I agree with what Pastor John has said. We are at a pivotal moment in time, in history, and he's allowed us, the church, to rise up and stand, not what we're against. I don't believe we're going to stand what we're against. We're going to stand for what we're for, because what we are for brings life transformation. What we are for changes people's lives. We are for Jesus. We are for God. We are for his kingdom coming from heaven down here to earth. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com.